My name is Lyndon Domes. I'm reading the sixth sermon in the 16-part series by Christopher Love on the topic of assurance. The text is 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. The doctrine I am yet upon is this, that Christians ought to put forth a great deal of diligence to make this sure to their souls that they are effectually called by Jesus Christ. In the prosecution of which I have resolved one case of conscience and am yet upon the second case, namely, what suggestions the devil doth use to keep men off from embracing the call of Jesus Christ. I have laid down and answered three already. Now there is one suggestion more. When the devil sees neither of these will take place, then he comes in with a fourth to dissuade men from embracing the call of Christ, and that is this. Why, saith the devil, if you will entertain the call of Christ, you will abridge yourselves of all the joy and comfort of your lives. You will never have merry days while you live upon earth. You see men that pretend to be converted and do hear sermons. What lumpish and melancholy they are, men they are, not so jocund and jolly as others are, that walk not so precisely if you follow Christ and his gospel, this will cashier all your merry days, and this will put you into a sad temper. All your jovial days are gone. Therefore, to take off this aspersion that the ways of Christ are sad and melancholy ways, which hath been an aspersion from age to age and generation to generation, hath been as a gin the devil hath used to keep men from Christianity. And I remember it is one of the great engines Antichrist useth to support and uphold his kingdom. The Papists, to deter men from Christianity and the Protestant religion, they would hold their disciples in hand with this, that the spirit of a Calvinist is a sad and lumpish spirit, and therefore they would dissuade all nations from turning to their religion. And this the priests were to tell in all the churches of Rome, how sad and melancholy they were that turned to the Calvinists' religion. And this did mightily stay the people from embracing the truth. And this aspersion hath passed from hand to hand, and is many times prevalent upon the spirits of men that are of the true religion, that they must not be too forward in the practice of religion, fearing lest this should work melancholy and sad thoughts in them. Now, to take off this, I shall only urge four or five heads briefly. <clears throat> First, whereas you say they are melancholy and sad that are called by Christ to a profession of his ways, I would answer thus, that they, of all people in the world, have most cause of mirth and gladness, and they are the most truly joyful people in the world. That they have most cause of rejoicing is apparent. When the disciples came triumphing that they could cast out devils, heal the diseased, and work miracles. Oh, but saith Christ, rejoice not in this, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Luke 10:20. As much as if Christ should say, all 
the endowments and extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, they are no such grounds of joy if you had them all. But here is your joy and cause of rejoicing that your names are written in the book of life, that you are in Christ and your souls shall be saved. And so Paul tells us in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. The apostle would not speak it to them with a single command, but doubles his expression to show that they that are people that have their sins pardoned, that have their souls reconciled, that have a title to glory, whose names are written in the book of life, these of all men in the world have most cause of joy and gladness. And they have not only most cause, but they do most truly rejoice and have more real joy in their hearts in one day than the wicked can have all their lives. 1 Peter 1.8 They rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What joy you have in the world? The tongue is able to speak of it. But the tongue is not able to speak of that inward joy that godly men have in their hearts upon the apprehension of the interest they have in Jesus Christ. Psalm 4, verse 6, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance, and thou shalt put more gladness in mine heart. Proverbs fourteen thirteen: a good conscience is a continual feast. Men are never more merry than when they are at a feast. Godly men, they carry clear consciences about them, and that makes them as joyous and pleasant as if they were always at a great and sumptuous feast. Indeed, this is, is true. They do not rejoice with such exorbitancies of joy as wicked men do. Wicked men rejoice in sin that they cannot do. Wicked men rejoice in their lusts, in their drunkenness, and their adulteries, and ways of sin that godly men dare not do. Such a rejoicing as this is the foundation of sorrow. This rejoicing, like the prodigal in a riotous course of living, is the foundation of sorrow and will meet with you when you are to die. Secondly, grant that this should be true, yet consider that this sorrow that godly people have, it is such a sorrow that they shall have no cause to repent of. But it is a foundation of future joy to them. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. I rejoice, saith the Apostle, in that I have made you sorrowful. What? Rejoice to see them a sad people? Yes, for the sorrow I made you sorrowful with was a sorrow never to be repented of. You will never repent of that sorrow, and therefore Paul would do it, because it was a sorrow never to be sorrowed for. Nay, it is not only such a sorrow as not to be repented of, but it is a sorrow that lays a foundation to a great deal of future joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. But now all the joy of wicked men is a joy to be repented of. They must repent of all their jovial bouts and repent of all their merry pastimes. This will be a sadness to their remembrance, whereas the sorrow of the godly is ne'er to be sorrowed for. Thirdly, it is true, it may be, they are sorrowful, but they are sorrowful for sin. 
which you have cause to be that are uncalled as well as they and more. Now, if a godly man be sorrowful for sin, this will never prejudice him. Indeed, worldly sorrow brings forth death, saith the apostle, but godly sorrow brings forth salvation, never to be repented of. Fourthly, it may be they are sorrowful, but how is it? They are not sorrowful because they are good, but they are sorrowful because they are so bad. It is not profession makes them sorrowful, but it is because they can profess Christ no better and profess him no more zealously. This is their sorrow, and this sorrow should be in all of us, that we can serve God no better and bring God no more glory. Fifthly, they are sorrowful, but it is not for themselves, but for thee. They are not sorry because they are good, but because thou art so bad. They are sorry because of thy sins, because they see thee an uncalled man still, and they see thee drunk, and they see thee profane, and see thee dishonor God, and damn thy soul. And this makes them more sad than they would be. Lot his righteous soul was vexed within him for the wickedness of the Sodomites. 2 Peter 2.8 And Jeremiah, his eyes run down with tears for the iniquity of the people he lived amongst. And so Paul, I told you before and now tell you weeping. There are wicked livers among you that walk not according to the truth. Philippians 3.17 and 18 Paul did not weep because he was miserable, but because he saw so many wicked and abominable in their lives. And so David, Psalm 119, 136, Mine eyes run down with water because men keep not thy law. Ezekiel 9, 4. And lastly, though you see some men sad and melancholy, yet think not ill of the ways of God, because this way of all other doth most invite to joy and gladness in the Lord. Rejoice evermore, and again I say rejoice, Philippians 4.4 4, and John 16. These things I speak, saith Christ, that your joy might be full. In the profession and following of Christ, it is the intendment of Christ to give you more joy than ever you had before. There is no such cause, therefore, to entertain a prejudice by the devil's temptation against the ways of Jesus Christ when he calls you to profess his gospel. And thus much be spoken to the second case of conscience in reference to wicked men. There is a third case, touching men uncalled, and that is, What delusions doth the devil deceive hypocrites by to make them nourish presumptuous persuasions that they are effectually called when they are not. And I entreat you, give me your attentions a little in the dispatch of this material question. I shall only lay down four delusions, whereby the devil deceives many. The devil may delude men by this, because they do delight to hear the word preached. Therefore the devil would egg on this persuasion, Surely you're delighting to hear the word and your following of sermons. This must needs be an evidence of your effectual calling. And here the devil would misapply scripture. As John 8:47, He that heareth not my words, saith Christ, is not of God. He that is of God heareth my words. 
Now here the devil would misapply this scripture and tell you that hear God's word and delight to hear sermons, this can be no other than an infallible evidence of your effectual calling. Now I beseech you to follow me in the taking off this delusion and showing you wherein and in what cases this will prove but a broken reed unto you. And I shall show you that in five cases, hearing the word of God with delight is no evidence of effectual calling, but may be mere delusion of Satan. First, if your hearing the word be but a bare hearing and not a hearing with practice, if you have not practice joined with what you hear and know you are thus hearing the word with delight is no evidence of your effectual calling. Ezekiel thirty-three thirty-one. They come before thee as my people cometh. Thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, as one that can play well upon an instrument of music. Here the Lord sets forth with what delight they heard Ezekiel preach. They heard him as a man that had a very lovely voice, and they heard him as a man that played upon an instrument of music, much delight they took in hearing. Yet, saith God, they hear thy words, but do them not. Beloved, though you take as much delight in hearing a sermon as to hear the most melodious music a cunning hand can make, yet if you barely hear with delight and not joining practice with your hearing, this is no evidence of effectual calling. Hence it is, James saith, James one twenty one, Be not hearers of the word only, but doers also, lest you deceive your own souls. Implying that you will deceive your souls about effectual calling, if you only hear and do not do. This was the fault of the stony ground, Matthew 13.20. Second, if you're hearing, be a partial hearing. I mean thus, if you hear and will hear but part of the word, or leave but some part of your sins by hearing, will pick and choose both whom you will hear and what you will hear. In that case, your hearing with delight can be no evidence of your effectual calling. If it be a partial hearing, as first that you will hear some part and will not hear the other, to hear the promising part and not the commanding part, to hear with delight the commanding part and not hear the threatening part of the word in this case, thus hearing will be no evidence of your call. Mark 6.20, Herod is said of him, he heard John Baptist gladly and did many things. There was his partial hearing. He heard him with joy in many things, but he would not do all. Now, if you ask wherein was Herod's failing, Herod heard the word with gladness, yet this was no evidence of his effectual calling. Wherein did he fail? Why, Mark, compare this scripture with Luke three eighteen nineteen and 20. Herod, it is true, he heard John the Baptist gladly while he preached of ordinary matter. But when John came to reprove him of his sins and told him he was an adulterer, then he could not endure to hear John preach. Verse 18. Many things in his exhortation did John preach to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by John, 
for Herodias his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils Herod had done, he added yet this above all, to shut up John in prison. He would hear John no more then. Mark how the scripture points out a wicked man. Herod heard John gladly when he preached of comfortable and general matter. When John came to a reproving matter and a convincing matter, then he would hear him no more, but added this sin to the rest to shut up John in prison. So that to be a partial hearer, gladly to hear some part of the word, but not all, can be no evidence of effectual calling. So those in Isaiah discovered this temper, Isaiah 30, verse 10, prophesy so us uh, prophesy to us smooth things prophesy deceits there were many men could delight to hear smooth and comfortable preaching but they could not endure to hear a true denunciation of god's judgments against them for their sins they loved to hear some part of god's will not all the promising part not the reproving part this is no evidence of effectual calling Ezekiel 13, 17 and 18, there were some lying prophetesses that did preach. But what did they do? They sewed pillows under men's elbows, and the Lord charges them for it that they did hunt after their souls. To preach smooth doctrines and plausible, comfortable doctrines is but to sew pillows and hunt after men's souls. Now many men love to be smoothed up, and flattered in their sins, whereas to be a partial hearer is no sign of your effectual calling. And third, hearing the word with delight is no evidence of your effectual calling. In case this be a fickle and unconstant hearing, to delight to hear the word because the word comes in request, because there is no danger in hearing, this wicked men may delight to do. When yet, if times of persecution should arise, they would be fickle and leave off their hearing. Matthew thirteen twenty and 21, it is said of the stony ground that the seed that fell among stones are they that receive the word with joy. There is their delight to hear. But not having deep root in times of persecution fall away. Here the scripture anatomizeth a man that he may hear the word with joy sometimes when the current of the times run for religion, when the word comes in fashion among a people. But if persecution should attend the word and a prison attend hearing, you would then see how flag their delights would be in hearing the word. And in this case, you may delight to hear the word, yet be no evidence of your effectual calling. Fourth, in case your hearing be a selfish hearing, as now many men may hear the word with delight. Why? Because they may get profit by hearing, and praise and vainglory by hearing the word. And this may make them wonderfully delight to hear. Luke 12, 1, there was an innumerable company went to hear Jesus Christ, insomuch the crowd was so great that one trod upon another to hear him. And yet Christ saith of them, in John six twenty six, they come to hear me preach, but not for the word I teach, or the miracles I do, but for the loaves they eat of. 
It was not love to Christ's person nor his ministry, but only because they saw Christ with a few fishes to feed so many men. They, seeing of this miracle, made them frequent the ministry and word of Jesus Christ. Many men may hear the word when selfish advantage accompanies hearing to get more trading, to be better thought of among their neighbors. This is a selfish hearing, and in this case you may hear, yet not be effectually called. There is a phrase in Hosea 7.14, They cried unto me, and they howled upon their beds, and they assembled themselves for corn and wine. Here was a people that assembled together at the ordinances of God, but what was their end? There was a dearth and a famine likely to come, and here they would use duties to be a means to prevent a famine and get corn and wine together. Here was a selfish end, and thus men may hear, yet have no evidence of their effectual call. If In five, if you're hearing be a divided hearing, and your delight a divided delight. This can be no argument of your call. As thus a man may delight to hear, yet if that man divide and share his delights partly to sin and partly to the word, this can be no evidence of his effectual calling. In the place before quoted, Hosea 7, they assembled together and howled upon their beds, yet they sin against me, saith the Lord. There they divided their delights. They would serve God in his worship, yet they would sin against him. So those, Isaiah 58, 3, 6, and 7, they took delight in drawing near to God, yet in the day of their fast found pleasure in sin. Now to have a divided love, to delight in sin as well as in ordinances, this can be no argument of effectual calling. And you're hearing the word in these five cases is but mere delusion. But on the contrary, if your hearing be not a bare hearing, but with your delight in hearing, you join practice. If it be not a partial hearing, but the commanding and reproving part as well as welcome as any other, if it be such a hearing as is not selfish, such a hearing in which you aim more at God's glory than your own advantage, if these be the qualifications, then your delight in hearing the word is and evidence of your effectual calling. Yea, but you will urge further, though this be not an argument of our effectual calling, yet we can go one step higher. We do not only delight to hear the word, but we love the godly who are effectually called to grace and glory. And if we love them, we hope it is an argument that we also are called. And they urge the scripture for it. We know that we are translated from death to life if we love the brethren. 1 John 3.14 Now to speak to this, I answer, it is clear in Scripture that every kind of love to the people of God is no argument of effectual calling. But there may be a feigned and a counterfeit love as well as any other grace. Hence the Apostle presses, Romans 12.9, Let your love be without dissimulation importing that men may dissemble their love, as well as any grace else. First John 3.18, let, let us not love in word and in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. So First Peter 1.22, let there be unfeigned love to the brethren, intimating that there may be a feigned and false love. So that every kind of love is no evidence of effectual calling. 
And this I shall make out by this demonstration, because there are several acts or expressions of love that men who are not effectually called may show to godly men. Now, if a man uncalled may show many expressions and acts of love to a man converted, then mere showing love to a godly man is no argument of your effectual calling. I shall reduce what I have to say unto six heads. First, a man may be frequently in the company of godly men, yet not be effectually called. And so Demas was a companion with Paul in the gospel, and yet not called, but embraced the world and fell away. Second, they may speak well of the people of God. And this John tells us in 1 John 3.18. Let us not love in word or in tongue. This loving in word and tongue was to speak well of a godly man. This a wicked man may do. Third, they may write letters of commendation in the behalf of a godly man. And so you read of Pilate's wife, which... The scripture gives as no evidence of her conversion. Matthew twenty-seven nineteen. she wrote a letter to her husband in the morning before he was to arraign Christ and told him, have nothing to do with the blood of that just man. Here you see she wrote on the behalf of a good man of Jesus Christ. And so we read of Claudius Lysias that he wrote a letter in the behalf of Paul to Felix the governor. Here were great acts of love, yet these no evidence of their effectual calling. Nay, four, they may think nothing too much to give to good men, yet not be called. And so did the Galatians, whose calling Paul questions in Galatians 4.15. They would pull out their own eyes and not think them too dear for Paul. And yet at length, how cold did they grow and count Paul their enemy for telling them the truth. They may express such love that in times of danger they may take care of the uh, safety of godly men. And so in Acts twenty three twenty seven, Claudius Lysias, when he heard Paul was in danger of his life, he came with an army of men to rescue him, that they should not take away his life from him. And yet Claudius Lysias lived and died a heathen, for aught the scripture mentions. Lastly, they may relieve the necessities of the godly and yet not be effectually called. Now, here are high expressions of love, yet it is evident all these may be where calling is not. But now it is true, in some cases, love to the people of God may prove a good evidence of one's effectual call, to wit, if it have these four qualifications. One, if you love the people of God under this notion, because godly. It is an evidence of your effectual call because there is good in them more than because you receive good from them. Hence it is, John tells us, wicked men may love a godly man because they have good from him. Second John 1. To the elect lady whom I love in the truth, for the truth's sake, dwelling in her. John did not love the lady because she was a lady or because she was a goodly woman but for the truth's sake that dwelt in her. Whereas wicked men, they love a godly man, but not as godly under that notion. Therefore, you shall see the difference between John's love to a godly person and Claudius Lysias, a man unconverted. Acts twenty-three twenty-seven. Claudius Lysias tells you there that 
Paul was in danger of his life, and with an army I rescued him. Now why was it he did so? Did he love Paul because a godly man? No, for mark the next words. With an army I rescued him because it was told me he was a Roman. He loved Paul for his nation, not for his conversion. Had he loved Paul as Paul, Paul as a Christian, this were an argument of grace. But to love Paul as a Roman because of country and nation's sake, this was no evidence of his call. So in Matthew five forty six and 47, if you love them that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans so? So that you see a wide difference between the love of a godly man and of a wicked man. Two, to measure your love to them by their graces, that you love that man most that hath most grace. That's an argument of effectual calling, because it is grace in the man and nothing else you love. Three, if your love be universal to all that are godly, of what sort or condition soever they be, this is an evidence of your effectual calling. For then it's evident that grace, as grace, is the object of your love. Lastly, to love man so as to carry compassion in your breast towards him, to have a sympathizing heart with him in his sufferings. 1 Peter 3.8, suffer with one another, uh, love as brethren. This shows your love to be true, and it hath pity and compassion to attend it. I pass now to a third delusion, which indeed is a, is a main delusion, and hath deceived many, especially those that profess the gospel, to make them believe they are effectually called when they are not. And that is because they discern a change in their conversation, that they are not the same men they were in days past, and hereby the devil props up this persuasion, that surely they must needs be effectually called, and he alleges scripture for it, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, 11, such were some of you, but ye are washed, etc. Now, this being so universal a delusion among most men in the world, that if they have hopes of heaven, it is upon this ground that they are not the same now. They were in times, as they were in times past. I shall therefore a little enlarge myself in speaking of this particular, and shall lay down six or seven particulars wherein I shall show that this ground, taken in general, is no infallible evidence of a man's effectual calling. First, because there are many gradual changes which do not come up or amount to a saving change or alteration of the heart of man. As there is a change from a pagan to a Christian, so was Julian changed, yet a man never called by Jesus Christ. Then there is a change from a persecutor to be a countenancer of religion. So we read Valerius Maximinus was changed, who was the vilest persecutor of all men in his time, and the hand of God, lying so sore upon him for that sin, that his very bowels rotted within him, and the very worms crept out of them. And in horror of conscience he cried out to his nobles about him, persuading them by his example to take heed never to persecute the Christians any more. Now both of these were great changes, and yet they are but gradual changes that leave men 
abundantly short of those saving changes that God works in them that are effectually called. Thirdly, there's a change from profaneness to profession, and yet this is a step below a saving change. Fourthly, there's a step from uh, profession into sincerity, into a, a real possession of Jesus Christ. Now, those three steps, they fall short of a saving change. And therefore, every change of life doth not argue a man to be effectually called, because there are many gradual changes that do not amount so high as a pitch as this to be savingly changed. Secondly, there may be a change in the life when there is no change in the nature or in the heart. Matthew 23, they may with the, wash the outside of the cup when within it is full of pollution. The life may be changed. The external acts and course may be changed when the heart may be not changed and the nature the same still. And thirdly, there may be a great change in a man's life proceeding not from a change in their nature, but from the times wherein they live. The times are changed, therefore they are changed. The times do not favor superstition, therefore they will not show their superstitious hearts. The times countenance not profaneness, therefore they will not be profane. Beloved, a change in a man's life may flow many times from a change of the times wherein they live. And yet this change, no argument of a heart change or of effectual calling by Jesus Christ. Fourthly, a change of your life may proceed from a change in your sin, not from a change in your heart. As thus, a man may be a drunkard, may be an adulterer, may be a profane liver in times past, and may change these sins for other sins. He may change his drunkenness into covetousness, and be a covetous worldling. He may change his adultery for idolatry, and be a superstitious man. He may change profaneness into hypocrisy and be a hypocritical man. He may change his loose practice into a loose judgment and be an erroneous man. Now this is no change of heart, but only a change of the sin. You have not the same sins you had, but you have other sins in place of them, and men may thus have a change in their life flowing from a change in their sin, yet no argument of effectual calling. Jeremiah 2.36, Why gaddest thou so much to change thy way? The people of Israel, they would be always changing. Now they would be for God, anon for Baal. Now for God's true worship, anon for false worship. They would be ever changing their sin, but never leaving it only change their old sins for other sort of sins. So there are many men nowadays changed. They are turned from malignity and come to be professors. It may be that they have not so gross sins now as in time past. In times past they would oppose religion, and now they profess it. Though they have left their opposition, they have some sin more eminent than that. Many men have been loose in practice. They have changed that to be loose in judgment. This is no change of heart all this while. So that take this for a truth. There may be a change in the life when the heart remains unchanged still. Fifthly, there may be a change in men's lives arising from a change 
in the occasions to send him, not from a change in the heart, as now a lion that will go ramping and roaring up and down, devouring his prey when he is at large, yet put this lion in a den, there he is quiet and will offer no hurt. Now the lion is a lion still, and hath his ravenous disposition still, only he hath not so fair an occasion to show his rage. It is thus with men. Many men want occasions and opportunities to show their wickedness and the evil of their natures, and therefore do not discover them. What's the reason? Many a man was a drunkard before and is not so now. It may be drunkenness hath brought beggary, and now he hath not money to sit upon an ale bench. What's the reason a man was an adulterer before and is not so now? It may be he hath spent his stock and spent his strength upon whores, and now he hath neither strength nor purse to uh, go after them. It, It is no thanks to you. If God take away your occasions of sinning, men may be thus changed, yet have no change in the heart at all. Sixthly, many men may change their lives because they come into better company. Happily, their company is better than in times past, and this may work in them a change in their lives. As we read of Joash, all the while he was in Jehoiada's company, he was a well-ordered man in his life. But when he was dead, and he came to have wicked men about him, then he showed the wickedness of his heart. Lastly, every change is not an evidence of effectual calling because there may be a change in the life proceeding from a wrong principle and tending to a wrong end. As thus, a man may change his life from a wrong principle. What's that? I will name two wrong principles of a change in unconverted men. First, men may change their lives because of some present outward affliction that lies upon them in this life. Their afflictions may enforce them to change their ways and not be so bad as in former days. Jonah 1.5, when they were in the storm in the ship, every man went and prayed to his God. What a change was here. Yet the change was only because of the danger. They were in danger of death, and therefore they grew religious. Every man, when a danger and afflictions lies upon him, that will make him betake himself to God and be a better-minded man. And so Pharaoh, when God sent ten more sore plagues upon him, the plagues did enforce Pharaoh to confess his sin and beg of Moses to pray for him. And yet, this change in Pharaoh was only because of the present affliction that lay upon him, which wrought this change. Jeremiah twenty two twenty three O inhabitants of Lebanon, how gracious wilt thou be when thy pangs shall come upon thee. When pangs and affliction were upon them, then they would be a gracious people. There is many a man will change his life when God brings pangs and death and sickness upon him. These are not uh, these are forced ways that God takes to make a wicked and stout hearted wretch change his life. Isaiah 16:12 It is said there when Moab is weary Moab will come to my sanctuary and pray What a change was here in Moab Moab and an idolatrous company that hated God's people and were enemies to all goodness yet when they were weary and God's hand laid heavy upon them 
Then they would pray. Ezekiel 24.12 So that you see clearly, though men do change their lives, yet if this change flow only from a present affliction they lie under, that God's hand upon them doth even force them to change their course, this is no argument of a saving change, and so by consequence no evidence of your effectual calling. Secondly, men may change their course from this principle also because of that horror of conscience that seizeth upon them in the apprehension of hell and the wrath of God. And from this principle, a heathen may change his course. It is noted by one upon that place in Peter, it happens unto them as the dog that returns to his vomit. Upon those words, he hath this note, that the dog, in vomiting, carries resemblance to a wicked man leaving his sin. Now saith his, this author, the dog, when he vomits, it is by reason of some qualm and pang that is in his stomach, and when he hath a pang, he will disgorge himself and ease himself by vomit, not as if he loathed his meat, but if he could free himself from those pangs, he would fain have the meat in his body to nourish him. Thus, a wicked man, he may disgorge and vomit up his sins and leave his sins, but why? It is not because he hates his sins. No, he would keep them as a sweet morsel under his tongue. But it is because those sins cause horror and trouble of conscience. He cannot deceive nor he cannot follow his lusts, but conscience will follow him. Now, if thou change thy sin only to stop conscience's mouth and muzzle conscience, this is no argument of effectual calling. Fourthly, men are tempted by the devil to nourish presumptuous persuasions that they are effectually called when they are not, because they are miscalled and reproached by the men of this world. Now, think they, I, I should never be miscalled and reproached by wicked men if I were not called by my God. Now, to take off this briefly, I answer every reproach from wicked men can be no argument of an effectual call from God, because men may be miscalled upon a twofold ground. There are some men suffer as Christians, and some as evildoers. We may suffer either for Christ's sake or for our own sakes. The distinction is laid down in 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16 and 17. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as an evildoer, as a thief, as a busybody in other men's matters. But if any man suffer as a Christian let him not be ashamed, so that some men may be punished for their own evils they have done, and so suffer no more when they have deserved than they have deserved, but other men suffer for their profession because they they profess Jesus Christ. Now to suffer because of your evil doings, this can be no evidence, but to suffer for Christ merely for professing his name, this is an argument of effectual calling. And therefore Christ pronounceth those blessed, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and speak evil of you for my sake. This is an evidence of your effectual calling by Jesus Christ. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. 
For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.